0: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
1: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for a quick intro this week. We've been gathering news all month for next week's Cloud News Show. It's been an interesting, to say the least, month in the emerging tech space, and you'll want to be on the lookout for that next Wednesday. This week, though, we're talking about visualization of data and diving into observability. I've been wanting to uh, talk to Grafana for a while now, and I'm glad we're able to make that happen. And we're going to jump right into that right after this break.
2: Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the latest trends in enterprise tech? Look no further than the Breaking Analysis podcast with Dave Vellante. This data-driven program dives into the most important topics facing the enterprise tech industry today. With a data-first approach that leverages ETR's renowned surveys of IT decision makers and insight from the Cube community, Breaking Analysis delivers in-depth research on the most important topics facing technologists and IT buyers. Whether you're a business leader, an IT professional, investor, or just an avid follower of the industry, this podcast is a must-listen. Just search Breaking Analysis Podcast wherever you get your podcast and tune in today to stay ahead of the game in enterprise tech. Transform your business with Microsoft Azure, the one-stop shop for everything cloud and AI. With Azure Migrate and Modernize, move your existing workloads to Azure with ease. With Azure Innovate, build new solutions with focused and deep engagement. Their core offerings provide comprehensive resources, expert assistance, and cost optimization tools. Accelerate your cloud journey and stay ahead of the competition with Microsoft Azure. Visit aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. That's aka.ms slash Azure Hero Offerings to learn more. And we're back. And Aaron, it's good to be back doing this with you. I am uh, I am finally back after the uh, the much ballyhooed uh, trip around the world. Um, how are you, man? How have you been?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I, I More than anything, I want to know like what time zone do you, does your body think it is? Now that you're back, how long, what's the over under and how long it's going to take for you to adjust? <laughs>
2: yeah, no idea. No idea. For For a month now, I, I I wake up every day between two and three in the morning and I go to bed at eight o'clock at night in whatever country I'm in. So I have, I have no idea. It'll, it'll, yeah, it'll probably take a week or so to kind of get back to normal, but, uh, good to be back in, back in North Carolina, back in the regular massive studios. And, you know, speaking of, of sort of, you know, big things and big visibility about stuff, which, you know, I've, I've been seeing the world, uh, we have not had a chance in a little while to kind of talk about the thing that that sort of sees everything and, and, and sort of looks at things globally, which is observability. And today we're going to kind of dive in and be like, what's new with observability? What are people learning as is they're is deploying it all over the place? And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and so real quick, this is interesting too, because this actually comes out of a conversation, uh, our, our guest and I, uh, we had at All Things Open, this year in Raleigh. So uh, I stopped by the booth, uh, said, Hey, um, and uh, one conversation led to another. And, and here we are with uh, doing the podcast. And so what we have this week is we're going to be talking about obviously observability and visualization of data in general. And so we have Ronald McCullum, senior manager of solutions engineering at Grafana labs. So Ronald, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you, Aaron. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Thank you for having me on.
1: Yes, absolutely. So before we dive into today's discussion, why don't you give everyone uh, a brief uh, introduction to your background, please?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, since we met at All Things Open, uh, I think it kind of follows that I've been an open source geek from way, way back. Uh, I got started in the Linux and open source communities back in the mid 90s, you know, in high school. Went from there, became a programmer for a bit, but I I really always enjoyed the intersection of uh, software and hardware. I like to play with infrastructure. I like to get to hold a screwdriver occasionally. So uh, I ended up in the monitoring space, keeping the lights on in a data center. Uh, And after that, I've I've worked at a number of companies, including Canonical, which is the company behind Ubuntu Linux, uh, where I built out the original hardware certification program there. So I got to scratch that itch of combining hardware and software again. Uh, And really from there, I've been in a bunch of small startups, which included Grafana Labs when I joined about five years ago, although it is way, way bigger now. Uh, and I manage a team of solution engineers there, helping folks build out observability practices with
1: the Grafana suite. Fantastic. And and I'll say this real quick, Ronald, too. Um, so we last talked to Grafana, gosh, uh, actually a couple of times, I had 2019 and, and 2020, and, and links in the show notes, by the way, if you, if anybody wants to go back in time. But observability continues to be a really hot topic. Um And this combination of observability and open source, how are you seeing the open source community and open source tools? And how has that evolved in this space? Because it has been uh, quite a few years.
0: Definitely. And I really honestly believe that open source is the natural endpoint for most software, but definitely observability, and especially things like data collection. So I kind of think of it like plumbing where it's something that you really don't normally think about, right? It's there, it's in the background. And as long as everything's going okay, you you just ignore it. But when something breaks, you suddenly care a lot and you want to fix things very, very quickly. So just like plumbing, really, you want to be able to both get in there yourself and fix things if you can, but also have a ton of people who are already familiar with the things that you're using can jump in really quickly and get things fixed and, and back up and working. So I think about uh open source in that way, that if you are relying on proprietary tooling for your observability system, you're both really reducing the size of the talent pool that can work on those tools, but you're also locking yourself into one vendor. So if things change out from under you, you kind of have to go along with it or do a very expensive lift and shift off of that. So I think as a result of that, we've seen the, particularly the data collection side of things become commoditized and trend toward open source, right? Prometheus has pretty much one on the metric side I think at this point we're seeing a ton of momentum behind things like open telemetry for tracing and probably eventually logging. So I think that the real value of these things is what you do with the data once you collect it rather than focusing on kind of building out your own data collection system, your own observability telemetry system
2: yeah no it makes makes a ton of sense I you know we've had we've had Grafana on the show a few times we've we've tried to do our best to follow. Kind of both observability and and dashboards, you know, we we and and we might be we might be naive in this, but I think we we oftentimes hear Grafana combined with other things, you know, Grafana with Prometheus, Grafana with uh, you know some set of of sort of you know logging slash observability. Where where do you see sort of the evolution of of maybe both the the role of Grafana, but also maybe more importantly, kind of the role of, of where dashboarding and visualization fits? Is it you know, are you seeing it mostly adopted uh, by infrastructure and ops teams? Is it security teams? Is it individualized dashboards for certain developers and certain applications? Like how, how has it sort of evolved, um, you know, in, in that sense of, you know, both the the breadth of what Grafana does, as well as, you know, who's, who's using the visualization and how are they best using it?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. If you, you know, if you look historically, I think you can really plot a line, if you'll excuse the pun, from uh, people doing things very ad hoc, You know, starting with logs in really the back to the very earliest days of computing, uh, and then really evolving from there to add new ways of working with data, thinking about data. So you kind of move from this idea of individual logs telling you about what's going on in your system to metrics that can tell you more about things in aggregate. And as we've moved into the cloud, we see things like tracing tools so that we can see how requests will pass through very complex environments and and touch multiple different services. So I think if you you look at the visualization side of things, it's really evolved in sort of the same way We, we started with. Just looking at raw logs, having a developer kind of look at the state of an environment, the state of a service, and figure out what's happening, to as those systems grew beyond what an individual developer could look at, uh, having to figure out how to do things with like RRD tool and uh, Nagios and and other similar tools that were the sort of early entrance into that visualization and, and graphing layer of things. And then again, as things started to get even more complex, you see tools evolve to be less about directly visualization. Like the visualization is still important. I still want to know what's going on. But I start to think about things like, what can I automate? What can I have trigger an alert and direct me to what I need to see rather than having somebody sitting in an operations center all day just looking at screens and waiting for something to go wrong? And I think that really ties into the the other side of the question about who uses these tools and how they use them. I think it really depends on the audience that you're talking to. So like if you're talking to business users, the the folks that are running the actual business itself and selling things to customers, they care a lot about things like return on investment. They wanna know that if they are investing in an observability system, investing in these tools, that it's actually going to get them more money in the end. They don't want to spend money for no good reason. And so they're going to care about things like response rates or latency. If you've got an e-commerce solution, you're going to think about the things that impact your users, because if they have a bad experience, they're not going to spend money on you. But if we think about this from an engineering perspective, I think people think about the things that they want to observe very differently. So they focus on... Uh, things like, sure, latency, but in within an individual service rather than latency in a customer transaction, for example. And they're the folks that are going to care very deeply about things like infrastructure. Do I have enough CPU, disk, memory, uh, cloud environments to support the services that I have now? And can I continue to do that as these things grow on something like Black Friday? So I really do think that there's a couple of different audiences here. They they care about different things, but they're closely enough related that I think you can unify those two worlds and, and give everybody one view of, of what's happening in their environment.
1: And, and Ronald, when I think about that in the context of, of your answer there, it reminds me of uh, the early days of, of DevOps at times of um, there's some, political considerations. There's some cultural and cultural changes considerations because this does impact anything from, you know, the business side of the house to the SRE side of the house to development. How do you approach something when you're talking to customers or or folks out there when it comes to bridging those gaps um, or having to build those alliances or do sometimes large-scale change? In operations, um, that seems like a delicate balance, and/or maybe a recipe for disaster. Sometimes, also. <laughs> um, what's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I have absolutely seen people do this incredibly well, and I've seen people do it incredibly badly. And I think there are um, th- there are lessons to be learned there. I'll, I'll say it that way. Uh, I really think that the folks that are the most successful in both building observability practice, but also in building really reliable systems are the ones that do it holistically, that it's really a top-down kind of drive from the C-level all the way down through the organization, that we are going to focus on quality, we're going to focus on user experience, and as a result of that, we need to know what's happening in our environment at all times. So the organizations that I see that are really successful in that way are the ones that are thinking about things as uh, service level agreements, service level objectives, right? They have SLAs for their customers. If I don't perform a certain number of transactions in a in a minute, or I don't ship so many widgets an hour, then I have to refund money to somebody. So of course, I'm going to care very deeply about making sure that I am hitting the targets. And as a result, I can drive those SLOs, the service level objectives, internally to measure those things and to know what I need to hit to be able to to meet those targets. And the reason I think that the folks that use this approach are the most successful are because that SLO focus actually lets you decide where you should put your engineering efforts right now. If you've got an SLO, you can effectively think about that as an error budget. It's how often can I miss my target and still not blow my SLA. So if I'm at 100%, I haven't missed any targets for the month so far, I've got a lot of basically budget to work with. I can be really aggressive at building new features, rolling out experiments, testing things out. And if they fail, okay, I can just walk it back and I'm still within those agreements. Whereas on the flip side, if I'm close to violating those SLOs, I know I need to focus very hard on stability, on, on keeping things up and running, making things more repeatable, and calming down that rate of change. So yeah, I think if you if you have that focus, that's ideal. But I would say that I have seen people be successful with a ground-up approach in building that kind of focus as well. You can actually drive that from an ind- individual engineering level too. And I think the way you do that is you just start making things publicly available. You collect information, you put some telemetry and monitoring in on whatever you can and start sending that out. Send a, an email out once a, excuse me, send an email out once a week to uh, all of the managers in your organization that shows the SLOs that you've put in place. And when that happens, what will happen is those managers will start to say, hey, why aren't my services in here? I, I want to show off how good I'm doing. Uh, so they'll start to add those SLOs. They'll come to you and say, how can I get included in this report? And you run that for a few months, you start to get a real groundswell of people engaging with that kind of process and starting to build the ideas of running a real SLO-focused organization. It's it's honestly really, really cool to see when that happens.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I tend to think about, because this space is interesting, it, it oftentimes... Uh, and I, I kind of feel like I'm repeating that the previous question, but I feel like we, we, we often see a lot of tools get involved, right. And and it tends to break down to be, uh, you know, identify a problem or identify a situation, try and resolve it. If it's problematic enough, uh, you know, it's, it's in the red, it's above a threshold. And then oftentimes there's maybe a, a third phase of it that might be, um, something that's looking at things historically, trying to maybe do some predictive stuff for, you know, kind of get in front of it. Um where do you i guess two two parts to the question where where do you see grafana today sort of sort of being the the best at at being part of that uh, you know string of of trying to make life better for operations and for applications and have you has grafana tried to you know kind of expand where their role fits or do you guys feel pretty comfortable with uh, you know the capabilities you provide today and and where you integrate with some of the other tools whether it's a you know a, a logging tool or some other type of thing
0: yeah I think historically grafana was very focused on the identification stage it's it's what is happening in my environment right now and that is because grafana really started as a visualization tool something that you can plug on top of multiple different sources of data and just visualize them all in a common way and I think that's oftentimes what people think of when they think of Grafana, but really over the last five years or so, the platform itself has evolved. So there's a lot more to it than just visualization. That part's still there, but we've expanded the stack much more into covering really both sides of the identification and um, remediation spectrum. So We've got tools now to do things like manage alerting and notifications and escalation policies so we can deal with events as they've happened, get the right people involved and and surface that data up, uh, as well as things like backends. There's a a scalable Prometheus backend, a scalable logging backend, uh, tracing backend, and so forth for Grafana that is just part of the native stack there. So they're available to you if you want to use them. Of course, you can still plug in any data source that you had before. But... I actually think that if you think about this on a spectrum of like identification and resolution of problems it sells observability a little bit short as a practice because that is thinking about things as how you react to issues how do i how am i notified about something going wrong and how do i then fix it where if you're doing observability the right way according to me Uh, you really want to be able to understand what's happening in your environment before an incident occurs, right? You want to head off those problems before they impact your users. So you want to be able to do things like load testing and scale testing and do continuous profiling to identify hotspots in your code. And all of that's still related to observability. I'm still collecting information about my environment and about how my services behave. But ideally, I'm doing that up front so that I can identify those issues before they impact users. So that's a real big area of focus for Grafana right now is building out that kind of tooling, the ability to do those scale tests and performance tests and uh, continuous profiling on your code before it actually goes into production.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. And so Ronald, I'm going to ask probably uh, the question that gets asked a good bit these days. Um, The AI question: Um, (laughs) How has AI either already changed, or in your opinion, will change uh, both observability and visualization in the future? Uh,
0: AI is a is a big buzzword for sure. Uh, I hear people talk about it almost on a daily basis, and. Part of the problem is I think every single person that talks about AI has a different idea about what AI actually means. So it's it's very much the Wild West right now. But one thing I have noticed is the biggest divide seems to be between the suits and the geeks on this one. So like when I talk to business execs, there's a big focus on things like AI ops. They want automation. They want auto remediation. They want something that they can just drop into their environment and have it solve all of their problems and, and do that automatically. But if I talk to engineers, the practitioners who are building um, building the, the systems that they're monitoring and building the observability systems, the things that they're interested in are much more about surfacing the right information and filtering out all of the noise so that they can get to the right place and fix the issue themselves. And honestly I, I think that latter approach is probably more real at least for the next few years uh, i I don't think it's impossible to automate remediation to automate some parts of incident response, but anything that you can trivially automate is also pretty trivial to solve and therefore to prevent so like you really do need a human level of intelligence involved in incident response and in dealing with uh uh, incidents as they occur in your environment. So I, I think that the companies that are going to be the most successful over the next four or five years in the AI space are the ones that are working to enhance humans rather than replace them. They're the ones that are, are making humans more effective. Yeah. I I want
2: to ask sort of a follow up on that is, do you get the sense, uh, you know, if you were just putting a stake in the ground today, um, like you said, you, you've got, you've got management folks who are like, look, um, you know, I, I just want the system to fix itself. I want it to be self-healing. I just want to drop it in. And it, you know, I, I get less complaints from your users and your constituents. And and typically, you know, even in just like automated systems, you have a tendency of of the operations teams to sort of be like, well, they don't know as much as we do. I'm not really sure I trust the thing to do stuff with it. What do you think is closer? Do you think the the technology is is fairly close to being able to do those things and it's a matter of of kind of convincing the operations teams to be like it's okay you should let it do these things or do you still think we're quite a ways away from you know the gap between sort of that that really smart uh, operations person that has to jump in there and the system being at an equal level to where you know that smart operations person can you know quote unquote kind of go work on other high value things
0: mm, yeah it- I think there's some of, of each, to be totally honest. I I do talk to practitioners, to engineers, who are you know concerned about AI taking their jobs. I have been doing this for sure. 30 years. I, I don't want to change. I don't want to replace it. But I don't think it's all that. I, I think if you think about, well, yeah, there's the old joke about AI that anything that we can't yet do is artificial intelligence. And as soon as we figure out how to do it, it's just automation. Uh, I I think you see a lot of that in observability and in particularly cloud scale uh, infrastructure environments, right? Like Kubernetes is a great example there. Kubernetes is automation. It is uh, all about self-healing. It's about being able to, to describe how you want something to deploy and then let the system itself scale it up, scale it down, kill it if it die, if it gets into a bad state, restart it, things like that. So those kind of automations, I think are going to continue to grow. And I, I think they're going to continue to be a big part of the industry. I think where, where people might get off track, and I, I think where some of the complexity isn't always clear to the, the business level folks that are talking about things like AI ops, is that you're dealing with, oftentimes, you're dealing with incidents that are novel. They're things that you didn't expect. You didn't know how to look for them up front. And so to expect an AI system to be able to figure something out that you didn't know about ahead of time and didn't know how to even detect, let alone prevent, it's going to be very difficult to build a system that can truly automate not only the detection side of that, but the remediation side of that. So I I think unless chat GPT-5 takes over the world and, and is truly sentient Uh, I don't see that becoming where the, the, the state of the industry ends up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Makes (laughs) sense. That's, that's really helpful. Thank you, Ronald. Um, so I'll I'll close this out by uh, a quick final question. Hopefully this is a softball question, uh, because you've literally written the book on Grafana. Um, for those who are interested out there, how do you recommend they get started with Grafana, and oh by the way, link to the book in the show notes. But
0: go ahead, <laughs> oh, that's an awesome plug! Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I tried to distill as much as I could into my book, and for folks that like to learn things up front, uh, you know, really dig in before they get started, I think it's a great way to a great place to start. I, I'm definitely going to recommend my book, but. Honestly, I would also say that Grafana itself is pretty easy to get into. You can go download it for free. Uh, you can deploy it you know, on your laptop or a Raspberry Pi or in a, a container or in the cloud. It, it really is very easy to get started there. You can even use it. There's a free tier on Grafana Cloud. So um, I'm actually more of a get my hands dirty kind of person. So that's where I would start. And I'm, I'm always going to recommend that people just you know, kick the tires, start playing with it. I think Grafana is probably the easiest part of an observability stack to get started with because it is pretty lightweight. It's pretty easy to crank up and, and start running. The hard part, the real work is actually in thinking about your observability strategy. You're always going to have to figure out what is it that I care about? What signals do I want to pay attention to? And what do I want to do with those signals? So there's no, again, no AI that can really do that for you yet. You're always going to have to put in some of that work. But uh you know, Grafana itself is a, a very easy place to visualize the results of that.
2: Yeah, I know that's, that's very cool. It's, well, and it, it's also good to know that it's, it's not, it's not so hard that, that you, you know, you, you potentially could have called the book, uh, you know,
0: Grafana the hard way. I like la, <laughs> Kelsey Hightower back in the Kubernetes days. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of convinced that every way is the hard way with Kubernetes, but that's just because <laughs> I've been doing Docker and uh, bare metal for too long. Nice. Nice. Well, listen, uh,
2: We want to thank you so much for the time today. It's been, uh, it's been good to, to both, you know, kind of get an update, um, you know, for us, it's been a couple of years to get an update, but also really kind of dig into, you know, kind of your, your specialty, which is not just the technology, but how is it used? What are, what are the best ways to use it? And so thank you so much for, for, you know, allowing us to dig into that. We really, really appreciate that today. Um, any, any last, you know, one last thing, I guess, if, if people want to follow up other than, other than the book, um, you know, kind of best ways to maybe engage you, engage your team, engage, you know, getting started with the technology uh, that you might want to throw out there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. People can always email me at Ronald at Grafana.com. Uh, but feel free to contact us through the Grafana webpage. You can go sign up for a free cloud account. You can download it for free. And there's a bunch of contact info and community info up there on that page. So definitely welcome anybody to, to reach out and say hello.
2: Excellent. Excellent stuff.
1: Well, listen, Aaron, you want to wrap it up? Take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So, Ronald, first of all, thank you very much for your time today. And on behalf of myself and a very time-confused Brian, thank you very much for listening uh, this (laughs) week. And if you are out there, please tell a friend about the show and please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And for that, I will wrap for this week and we will talk to everyone next week.